Ziploc that Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap I remember nights, I didn't remember nights I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper The absolute truth, yeah, no joke Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Trap Draw Podcast. My name is Randy. I am joined by one of my favorite guests. It's been a few months. I think our last conversation was back in May, uh, but that would be Beth Ann Nichols of Golf Week. Beth Ann, good morning, good afternoon, where you are. Uh, how are you doing? I'm well. I'm caffeinated from uh, my early wake-up call for Evian viewing, and I'm, I'm ready to go. Perfect. Perfect. I should mention folks can follow your reporting golf week, Nichols, N I C H O L S. That's what you are on Twitter. Go to golfweek.com. See your, your stories and, and game reports that way as well. Let's dive right into it. I think the biggest thing I want to talk to you about probably since our last conversation was the Nelly breakthrough. We have a major champion. Nelly Corda is a major champion. She won her first major at Atlanta Athletic Club at the KPMG Women's PGA. It vaulted her to number one in the world. Uh, the first, I was shocked, the first American to be ranked number one in the world since 2014, Stacey Lewis. I know you and I have talked about this at length. What uh, Talk to me about your your feelings and, and you know, this, this had to seem a bit predestined, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I, I feel like the last time we talked about this, I said something like, I'm not going to hit the panic button because she's only 22, you know? And, right. and so it was funny when she won, she said, you know, I don't feel like I'm 22. I feel like I'm 30, you know? And, and I thought that was so interesting because that's kind of how we feel, right? Like, exactly. Like, this should have happened a long time ago. I mean, for her, it's like, you know, she's been running her own business, so to speak, you know, as the CEO of Nellie Corda incorporated on the LPGA for quite a long time and and that responsibility and everything that comes with it you know age is a player in many ways I think and um and so what what comes another conversation that comes to mind is one that I had recently with Angela Stanford who I asked her about we were talking about Michelle Wee a fellow vice captain for the U.S. Solheimco team and and her win at Pinehurst in 2014 and what that meant and Angela said look when I won the Evian it was like Oh, finally did it. Got that over with, you know, kind of move on to the next thing. When Michelle won the U.S. Women's Open at Pinehurst, it was like, all right, the floodgates are going to open. What's next? You know, and, and it was a total, it was like the burden was lifted, but not really. It was just a different burden, you know, and I feel like that's the case with Nelly. Now we're like, all right, you're number one. You've won a major. Now, now what are you going to do? How, you know, can you win another major? How long can you stay at number one? Can you bring in new sponsors? Like, can you take the tour to the next level? Like, it's just like, boom, 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 you know, and that's a heavy burden to carry. And I think it's very uh, unique to an American player, this being a U.S. based tour. Well, let me ask you this: Do you, in your opinion, do you think she's up up for it? You know, as as much as you've gotten to know her and talk to her and and get a sense of things, do you think she's willing to to kind of carry that, for lack of a better term? You know, I think there's going to be a big learning curve here in in understanding what that exactly means because she is still 22, and and it's hard to under to to appreciate what to say no to and what to say yes to at this point as you're trying to figure out how to balance things. Stacey Lewis, 
I remember her telling me the last number one, I remember telling me that she would keep her head down sometimes walking down the hall because she was afraid that the approaching LPGA staff member was going to ask her for something. And so it was almost hard to like, just say hi, because you knew a request was coming with it, you know, but when Stacy was number one, you know, uh, companies that were on her shirt and her, her bag and her hat suddenly became title sponsors of events. So, you know, you could see a direct line between an American being number one and the tour moving to another level uh, with blue chip sponsors. So it, you know, it'll be interesting to see what Nelly can do. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, that's what I'm really curious about. You, you mentioned it earlier, whether this is freezer up on the golf course and, and we see her game, I gosh, it's hard to think, go to even another level Selfishly, I hope it does. Uh, I, I think I speak for most everybody when that would be awesome, uh, not only to watch, but I think awesome for the, the game as well. Uh, certainly push and, and drive her fellow competitors to, to match that level of play. One thing that I, I found quite fascinating was that she bought a gaming laptop uh, recently and, and is now into Call of Duty you know, on the road. <laughs> And she said, the whole idea was I need a mental escape. You know, I need to be able to do something basically in my hotel room to take my mind off of everything that's coming up that's at stake. And so I thought that was really wise. You know, you need an outlet. And there are other players. I know uh, Bianca's huge into that. You know, there are other players on tour that I'm sure she could, that would love to play against her. But it just, I just thought that was a really mature way of, of dealing with added stress. Find another outlet. Yeah. God, that's taken me back to my high school days when we would sit in my friend's basement and just play video games uh, after school. That's He's really... doing it in a luxury hotel. Yeah. Road. A little different, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, last thing Nelly wise, I guess for, for now, I think some was made of the dynamic between her and her sister, Jessica. And I, I thought no better person to kind of ask how you see that dynamic and, and your sense of, you know, how, how much is sibling rivalry versus to, to me, it appears almost like Jessica is more on like a motherly side and, and she's almost got Nelly under her wing and, and, you know, just wants to see her blossom. But I'm curious your take on, on their dynamic. hundred percent. I think, I think definitely the overriding thing here is support in, in every way. And for all the siblings, I don't, I don't think there's, you know, a problem of jealousy among the ranks and the quarters, you know, I, th I think they're eager to celebrate. I thought it was really smart of Jessica that when Nellie came out on tour, she was of course there for her, but she wanted Nellie to, to meet her own friends, develop her own personality. Cause a lot of people already knew who Nellie was cause she'd been out to so many tournaments with Jessica as a kid that they knew she was, you know, Jessica's little sister, but for her to develop her own identity, her own routines, I thought that was a really uh, smart way of, of helping uh, Nelly acclimate to the next level. And, and now it's just about supporting each other in every way that they can. So I think it's a very healthy relationship. Do you see much difference in them on the golf course? I, I'm just curious if you pick up on maybe certain mannerisms or, or their personalities, um, if there are any stark differences. It always seemed like Nelly had an extra spark there, like an I don't, it didn't really, it doesn't really feel like she gets maybe as down on herself, but maybe that's just, I don't know, maybe I'm completely misinterpreting it, but um, it always seemed like Nellie had another gear of fight in her, but you know, both of them are high caliber players and obviously Nellie knows how to rise to the occasion now. And speaking of 
majors and rising to the occasion, the other uh, women's major that took place since I last spoke to you was the Women's Open, the U.S. Open. Yuka Sasso won in a playoff over NASA Hataoka. Big takeaway there from you. First of all, how, how great of a event. I thought Olympic was a fantastic venue. I, I'm curious if, if you feel the same way. It was incredible. You know, I, I said to one of the USGA officials, you know, I texted her when I was walking out to my car at 930. I was like, you don't really mind walking out to your car at 930 at night when you know, you've been there for 14 hours when, when it's at Olympic, when it's so amazing and you, you walk past the clubhouse in the 18th and you're like, Oh, you know, this is, this is wonderful. Well, you know, it just, it just feels big, you know? And so I, I think Olympic delivered in, in every way possible. And the scene on 18 of all those fans packed around the natural amphitheater there uh, was such a great thing to witness uh, because, you know, the LPGA has been behind the PGA tour in terms of the fan experience. And it was great to see that many people, you know, packed around watching that exciting and shocking finish. <laughs> yeah. Do you think bigger story? Do you think it was a Yuka Sasso winning or the collapse by Lexi Thompson? What, what do you think we'll remember more from, from that week as, as time goes on? I definitely think we'll remember, we'll think of this as Lexi's collapse, which is sadly apropos for Olympic, right? That's just sort of yeah. how it goes, um, historically speaking. But um, but it depends as, as well on, on how big of a star Yuka Sasso becomes, because we could also look back on it as the day the golf world got to know Yuka Sasso. We, we, just, we don't know how big she's gonna be, but we'll, we'll always have this as, especially if Lexi Thompson never wins a US Women's Open, <laughs> this will be the one, you know, Lexi let get away. But the bright side, you know, on the flip side, Yuka though, she is such a delight in every way. And it's been so fun. And I watched her in amateur golf. I never really got to know her that well at US Women's Amateurs, but, but getting to know her since, you know, this, this win has been so much fun. And, and, and I had a funny conversation with her and several other reporters about the fact that she's going to be on the stamp in the Philippines. And, uh, and she, somebody asked her, you know, do you write letters? And she's like, I don't use stamps. I send text messages, you know, it was like, this, like, like she'd never bought a stamp. Like the stamp wasn't really that big of a deal to her because she never uses stamps. It was like, it was kind of a lost, you know, a lost concept there. And it was, Crack me up and reminded me of, of how young she is. <laughs> yeah, God, what a what a way to you know. <laughs> I feel a little old just just listening to that. I, I guess the last thing on Lexi and the U.S. Open. I think there was some discussion debate about her. She, she did not talk extensively to the press. I think she took a question or two and then was you know kind of shuttled away after that fourth round. Um, I, I'm just curious because I've seen you, you. You are probably the most dogged reporter. You're, you're talking to everybody at these events. And, and I'm just curious as, as a reporter and somebody trying to do your job, what you make about that decision by Lexi and, and if she made herself as available as she needed to, in your opinion. So, you know, in real time, it, you know, we're all standing around. Is she going to talk? You know, it's, she's, she's in the scoring tent forever, seemingly. Uh, you know, we knew she had turned down TV, you know, is she going to come to the flash area? And, and when she did, and we all hustle up onto the mics, I was given the first question, not knowing that it was only going to be two more questions. It was her agent that called it off over to the side. 
because Lexi what seemingly was fine. Like I felt like Lexi could have answered two or three more questions, especially what we wanted to know was what happened on 18 with your club selection and, and, and he cut it off. And so she took his cue, you know, the, the USGA then cut it off. And, um, and it was just unfortunate because I felt like Lexi could have, could have done more and would have done more. She had composed herself enough. Um, but yeah, she did take it really hard. You know, she didn't emerge from the tent for a long time. It was difficult, but I think these moments are so important for fans. I really do. And not, not just for us to be able to tell the story, but for fans who, who, who want to hear what Lexi has to say and, and want to know how she is. And, you know, these are just such revealing times these heat of the battle moments. And I understand needing to take some time. Look, after Maria Fossey got dinged with her slow pay, play penalty at the KPMG, she came out of the scoring area sprinting fast. And I, I said, Maria, and she gave me this little finger waggle. And she, and she said, not now. And she kept walking. And then she went, she sat down on the side of a hill just in front of us for, I don't know, five, five 10 minutes, came back and answered all the questions and said, I'm sorry, I just needed some time to compose myself. It was better for you and for me if we did it that way. Absolutely no problem, you know? And so I think Lexi could have done more. Uh, I think when you are who she is on tour, what she means to the LPGA, I think that's extremely important. And look, look, Bryson, the whole the whole thing at the British Open with Bryson and his and his driver sucks, you know. That can that comes out of a flash area press conference, you know. Like these things matter, you know. Yeah, for sure. I you know the one that sticks out to me is on the men's side, Phil Mickelson in 2006 at Wingfoot, right when he he makes a mess on the 72nd hole and and essentially loses the U.S. Open. And just to think. I just had a lot of respect for him coming out of that moment and getting up there and facing the questions. And, you know, I think the big quote from that is like, I can't believe I just did that. I'm such an idiot. And it, it just reveals a humanity that I think it's so difficult in the moment. I understand the golfers are going through a lot. Right. But, but I think it buys you a lot of goodwill with the fans and it almost, I, I like, I feel like Lexi missed a chance to really garner a lot of support and sympathy. And, you know, I, I think, next time she's in a position like that coming down the stretch at a major, like how awesome it would be everybody pulling for her if she had really given a, us an insight into her thinking and, and talked about the experience at Olympic. I, I just feel like it's, you know, uh, penny wise pound foolish to, to not take questions in that moment, but it's, it's easy for me to say that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the one that just was in that heart wrenching situation, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think we've all, I mean, I've always said you learn more about a person in loss and defeat, especially a difficult defeat, than you do in a win. And, you know, we praise Lydia Ko over the years for how gracious she's been, you know, with the media after tough losses. Um, you know, so yeah, and you coming to mind when, when she lost in a playoff uh, at the KPMG, how fantastic she was. I mean, there have been times that I walk out of the media room. Uh, interview area wanting to write about who finished second way more than who finished first because of that humanity and because of what they just showed us, you know, in the aftermath. And it's just such a tremendous time to connect. And I often think back to the A&A when Lexi lost in such a brutal fashion to So and you. And, and she, she answered two questions of Golf Channel and that was it. And then she signed a bunch of autographs, which was fine in the moment. 
but then she kind of went dark for a long time, you know, and, and she could have been on, on all these late night shows talking. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people would have, would have embraced Lexi and she could have done a, a media tour of sorts right after that, you know, talking about the USGA rules and, and, and how she felt and, and maybe feeling all of the, you know, because on social media, there are a lot of negative comments and, and, but maybe feeling a lot of the positive comments from people if she had talked publicly about it more instead of kind of going dark for, for weeks, that it might have helped her to get over it faster. I don't know. We'll never know, but I've often wondered why. Yeah. This might be an unfair question, Bethann, but in your opinion, do you think she gets the best advice from her team, quote unquote? <laughs> It's, it's tough. I mean, well, she has a new agent. Her new agent is, is Bryson DeChambeau's agent. So it's, it's, her team has changed starting last year, but you know, it's, it's difficult to say what comes down to the player's decision and, and, and the advice of, of the team, you know, certainly uh, there have been some head scratching moments, but I also understand that everyone's different, you know, and some people just handle things differently. It's just kind of what you wish would happen not only you think for the player to for the betterment of the tour to raise the LPGA even higher beyond Lexi certainly I think athletes talking to the media has become more of a discussion point with Naomi Osaka in women's tennis and I'm curious as again asking you to put your reporter's hat on and just knowing how important I presume how important that access and being able to talk to athletes how important that is for you and your job what, what do you make of this trend and does it worry you at all? Or, or do you think it's, I, I guess, good that these players are feeling a little bit more empowered that way? I, I have mixed feelings on the fact that, you know, I certainly appreciate that mental health is extremely important and that, like I said, people handle things in different ways and how I bounce back from something might be different than someone else. But I also feel like the media is part of your job description, right? And especially on the LPGA that needs as much attention as possible, because I can't tell you how many times I get on Zoom interviews with, with players and it's me and one other person, you know, and, and there's just not a lot of media attention, period, given to the LPGA. So the players need to do more and more and more and more, not less. I just think it's a, we're, we're going down a really tough road right now. And it's, it's, I think it's going to be more difficult to get players to understand the value of the media, the value of print media, especially, and how those press conferences shape the entire telecast, because everything that's said on a press conference is repeated on the telecast. That is the storyline that you're getting at home on TV. So if you don't say anything, people have to make it up based on how you look on the golf course, because once again, we still don't have stats. They're coming, but we still don't have them. So if you don't want people to make up what they think you're thinking right now, you need to tell us. And here's the trick. You can turn anything around into however you want to answer a question. You as the player control the interview. We don't. If you don't want to answer a question, you turn it around and start talking about something else. Come to the microphone with an idea, with a story that you want to share and figure out a way to work it in that direction, or just say, I'm not comfortable talking about that. And we'll move on to the next thing. You know, I mean, I just think that there's so many other ways to handle this than just, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Amen. I love that answer. Thank you. That's, that's really, I, I really, really appreciate that. Hey. 
Hi everybody, Randy here. Sorry to interrupt. I want to thank one of our sponsors for today's episode, and that is our good friends at Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered you are, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from both your workouts and the normal stressors of life. Whoop can help anyone perform better, whether it's preparing for a golf match, a race, a meeting, anything going on in your day-to-day life. Whoop can help plan out your day and make smarter lifestyle decisions to help you feel better than ever. The Whoop Journal and monthly performance assessments allow you to track the decisions you make during the day and actually see what impact those choices have on your recovery, your sleep, and your strain. And Whoop tracks all four stages of sleep, slow wave, REM, light, and awake, and can tell you how much sleep you've gotten down to the minute. It's become a big part of my everyday routine and has given me great insight into how I should push myself in the gym, and in my workouts. Right now, listeners, Whoop is offering 15% off when you use the code TRAPDRAW, all one word, at checkout. Go to whoop.com, W-H-O-O-P.com, enter the code TRAPDRAW to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop today. All right, one of my favorite things, I want to have you play prognosticator and and I want to get into some LPGA player discussion. I guess where I want to start, we've talked about the the KPMG and the US Open. Going even back to the ANA, we have three young, seemingly stars that have won majors so far this year. Nelly Korda, Yuka Sasso, and Patty Tavitanikit. I'm asking you, Beth Ann, who would you place your money on to win their second uh, the, the quickest. So essentially out of those three, who do you think is going to win a second major the fastest? Well, you know, I have to say that we're talking on a day that Nelly Corda beat very few people in the first round of the Evian and, and had an unfortunate whiff on the ninth hole. So um, I'm leaning towards Patty Tavitanikit at the minute, but you know, I mean, I, it, we're still so young and Yuka Sasso and getting to know her and her capabilities, but I'm still going to go with Patty. I feel like Patty's still a little under the radar, so to speak, in that, in that sense. And is it carrying the weight of Thailand on her shoulders? You know, she has folks to share it with and, and Yuka Sasso, you know, is, is huge as, as the previously mentioned stamp. <laughs> yeah. Beyond those three, those three were all, like I said, first-time major winners this year. Um, and, and actually going back to 2019, the LPGA has had eight straight major winners that are first-time major winners. I, I think that's a crazy, crazy stat. I, I guess, does this surprise you at all? And, and two, does it speak to the talent pool out on the LPGA Tour? I mean, is, is this about as deep as you can ever remember? Oh, 100%. I mean, it's... Uh... It's incredible. And it's, it's not only, you know, that they're first time major winners is that they're non-members, you know, they're, they're folks yeah. who are playing the door full time, you know, you know, look at Sophia Popov. We look at Hanako Shibuno, uh, Yuka Sasso, you know, you've got, you've got a rookie and, and Patty Tavitanikit, you know, it's really incredible that a lot of players are making their first title a major. I think we're going to see this trend continue because I, I think, so many players coming out now from all around the world are ready to go, you know, pedal to the floor. Do you think, is there anything that strikes you about, you know, is it, is it just the strength of junior golf, perhaps college programs, um, just worldwide popularity? Maybe is this a payoff from Sayri Pak and, and Michelle Wee West? What do you make of this emerging seemingly, uh, pool of talent worldwide that can win, you know, that can win a major. 
I certainly think we can look back to Sayuri for sure, because what she did not only kickstarted a craze in South Korea, but throughout all of Asia. And, and that brought the LPGA to have a tournament in Thailand. And then, you know, from there, you had the Jutanagarn sisters playing at like age 12 or younger. I can't remember. They were so young when they first started playing at that event. But so you have them, you know, winning in Asia, Yanni winning, you know, taking an event to, to Taiwan and then more Taiwanese players picking up the game. You know, it's just kind of this domino effect. And I also think national programs are huge. Oh, you know what, what they offer in terms of development at, at the elite level is incredible. Uh, e- even so much so that, you know, Hannah Green, for example, who won her first tournament at a major in the KPMG, you know, was talking about how she spends her time when she's not on the road at a house in Orlando that's for Australian players, male and female. So, you know, that's a huge money cost saving thing first of all to be able to have a place that you don't have to pay for and then number two you're surrounded by other elite professionals that you can practice with and learn from the swedish federation has an apartment in in uh, the phoenix area that players can stay in you know and so i was really interested to hear mike juan the other day talking about how he feels like you the u.s is pathetically behind in having a national program and that it is high on his list of priorities at the USGA to make that happen. And that was music to my ears. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, on the other side of the coin, I guess, talking about uh, players that have not won a major yet, I loved your, your recent piece breaking down the, the top 10 uh, players, best players to not win a major. I, I'm a sucker for that for that type of discussion. Can you talk about who was number one on your list and why, and, and, you know, some of the st- stronger names that, that she beat out? Yeah. So, you know, this is obviously purely subjective and you have different criteria for, for why you think, you know, this, I, I, I made it more of a current list in terms of, you know, who's playing the best right now. I mean, Amy Yang would have been on the list cause she top five and every other major it seemed like for a long time, but but, but that was several years back and since she's done anything. So she wasn't on the list, four-time winner. But, but to, to answer your question, Jessica Corda was number one, six-time winner on the LPGA, the most titles of anyone who has yet to win a major. And she hasn't done well in the majors historically. She hasn't contended, and, but I still made her number one because she should be. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, so it's kind of on the one hand you have, yeah, you're, you're, she's underachieving at the majors, but has all the talent in the world to do it. So that's why she's number one, because I think she's the first person that comes to mind. Like, really? She hasn't won one. Uh, and then, but then you have like Nasa Atoka, who's lost in two playoffs at the majors, you know? So, uh, you know, she's high on the list. Uh, she was number three. Minji, I had it too, just in terms of sheer longevity. She's been a solid player for a long time on the LPGA. Um, but, you know, then it, it, you know, it got a little, little tougher down at the end, you know, it's like, gosh, I've got people on this list that have never won. And yet I, I think I said this on the last podcast, Jennifer Cupcho is the player that I feel like her first tournament will be a major. Amy Olson has come so close. She seems to have the kind of game that rises in tough conditions. And, and, and if she wins one, it'll be a U.S. Women's Open, you know, that, that's just kind of how you think, you know, so, 
so uh, yeah i mean it's obviously up for debate uh which is what's fun about those lists of course that's that's entirely what's fun about it uh and okay so an impossible question for you if, if we were to revisit this list in 12 18 months do you have any predictions on on how it would change either somebody winning and getting off the list or perhaps some some young players that are moving into like hey they're the next crop of players that are are going to win a major but they just haven't yet yeah so i think nasa will be the first to exit the list uh obviously it's come painfully close several times and uh just just seems to like big moments so i feel like she can uh, she could get it done. Um, as far as folks coming on the list, uh, I mean, I think Yalimi No is going to be a fantastic player. Um, you know, I think she'll, I think she'll win soon on the LPGA, and we'll be looking to her to to win a major here shortly. Uh, another player who's not yet a member of the LPGA but has superstar written all over is, is a Thidicole, who has an enormous amount of talent, nearly won in Thailand earlier this year, uh, playing alongside Patty Tabataniket. Of course, area ultimately won. It was this fantastic all Thai finish. Uh, but, but I think she, I, I think Thidicole is, is going to be a tremendous asset on the LPGA when she gets out there and could be a player who wins a major without being a member. She could fall into a Yuka Sasso category or, or an Alim Kim. We're recording this, as you mentioned earlier, on Thursday of the Evian. Uh, folks, obviously, the, the, when you're listening to this, the Evian will have concluded. Maybe Alimi No has won a major. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious. Can, can you help people understand what discuss the Evian standing in the women's game, you know, I, I, and, and along with that, is it kind of, there are five majors. If you had to rank order them, is, is it kind of the, the fifth of the five majors in your opinion? So this is a tricky question and, and I, I I'm, I'm going to try to be thorough in answering it because I think it's, it's confusing to a lot of people. I mean, I've, when the, when the LPGA added the Evian as its fifth major, you have to understand how, tumultuous things were on the tour at that time craft was leaving the women at that point it's called the lpga championship was in limbo we were wearing lanyards at wegmans that said it's major to remind us that the event had turned into a major like that was the actual slogan you know it was i mean the u.s women's open was the strongest event on on the major rota by far the rna was not running the women's british open at that time now the aig women's open so the governing bodies the pga of america you know they hadn't really come and in, come into play at that point right and so the, it was like, oh my gosh, could, could the LPGA lose the craft? Could the LPGA lose the LPGA championship? Like, so Evian came on board. Evian had a lot of cash. They like to wine and dine. If you've ever been there, it's incredible. It's such, I mean, it's lavish to the extreme, everything about it. And it bought them a tournament. It bought, I should say, it bought them a major, right? And, and I think people probably don't understand how hard it is to find blue chip sponsors who will back the LPGA through thick and thin and champion it. And that's what Evian has done. And, and so it's really hard for me to uh, knock Evian as a lot of folks do because 
I know, I know what was going on when they became a major. Did I like it at the time? No, <laughs> I wanted, I liked four majors. I wanted it to stay the way it was. It screwed up MB Park because at that point, you know, it's like, well, crap, is MB, has she won all the majors or not? Like, like what's going on? what do we do in 2013? It made everything very complicated. But at the same time, I understood because I understood the economics of the tour at that time and how, how bad it would look if the tour had three majors. <laughs> so, you know, th and that's why it went to five. So it's the golf course. At the end of the day, that is the sticking point, right? It's built on the side of a mountain. Players get quirky, bad bounces. You know, a, a lot of them, you know, don't like the greens, you know. And But, but listen, Evian has done what people have asked. They have moved the tournament from September to July which they liked being the last major of the year for the, for the Rolex Annika major award culmination. So to give up, that was a big deal because, you know, Rolex is headquartered across the lake, big sponsor, big deal that, you know, but they did it, you know, they, they changed the par, the, the closing hole, the 18th from a par four back to a par five that needed to be done. You know I mean? I feel like, you know, they're stepping up to do things. Their purse at $4.5 million matches the KPMG Women's PGA substantially higher than the ANA Inspiration. So they can't move the golf course. It's in Evian. It's called the Evian Golf Resort. Yeah. Like, I, you know, when you when you look at the whole totality of the picture to understand where it is, it just kind of stinks that so many players felt like they had to skip because the Olympics, quarantine, travel restrictions, so many things going on. Um, aside from Stacey Lewis, who's still boycotting, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, I just, I just think that there are a lot of factors at place at play here and, and Jacques and Frank are huge supporters of the LPGA and want to be people that push the bar for the women's game and were invested in women's golf way before women's equality became sort of in vogue, you know, to promote your diversity and your values at your company. They, they've been doing this you know, since the nineties. When the, this time period, what, what year was this when, when, when you were speaking of all this change? So 2013 is when um, okay. the, the Evian became a major. So obviously there was discussions about it in the, you know, 11s, probably even 10 when Juan came on board, I actually don't know when the first discussion started with Juan about Evian becoming a major, but, but it was a long time ago, you know, and, and, and when Juan came in, there there were so many moving parts. And right now, you know, we don't right now we don't know what's going to happen with A and A. You know, it seems like there are a lot of question marks there going forward. And um, you know, the PG or the the PGA Tour doesn't have this problem with you know wondering if their majors are solid. Yeah, they only you know they they try to convince us that the players is is this quasi major, but. Um... <laughs> But it's, but no one's worried about it going away. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can debate the ranking order of them. We're, we're wondering if they're going to be around next year, you know, that that's where it was then, you know, and, and now that, now that the PGA of America, the RNA are involved, you know, things have changed a lot and it has allowed those tournaments to really elevate, which in turn has probably put an even bigger spotlight on Evian's golf course, but we're going to Muirfield and Pebble beach and the Olympic club and, 
uh, ball to straw. And it's like, wow, but the views are fantastic. <laughs> so say everything looks gorgeous. All, all the pictures oh. and, and videos I see posted, it looks it looks gorgeous. So going forward then, is it is it pretty set now as, as a July tournament? Do you think it'll be that way for the foreseeable future? I do just because it's, it's the best from a weather standpoint, you know, they just ran into way too many issues in September with bad weather. And, uh, and, and like I said, you know, it is, they spare, they seemingly spare no expense there. You know, everything is luxurious and beautiful and you can't help but smile looking at it. And I know that the golf course, we talk about how important that is for a major championship and it is a thousand percent important but this is a unique situation and i still think that Jacques and frank should be applauded for their commitment to the women's game yeah well that's that's excellent that's really illuminating for somebody like me to hear and and certainly puts the context of this week and and you know a bit unfortunate with the olympics and and that being an every four year issue but that's that's really great to hear so i appreciate that insight and, and perspective hey everybody randy here sorry to interrupt the conversation but i want to thank our other sponsor for today's podcast and that is our good friends at DraftKings sportsbook DraftKings sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook it's also america's top rated sportsbook Speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold, and DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer just for you listeners. Listen to this great offer. Place any pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on an American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze. 100 to 1 odds on an offer like this doesn't come around often, maybe every four years. So sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook now to get in on all the action. Listeners, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TRAPDRAW, all one word, when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code TRAPDRAW to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Thank them very much for sponsoring the Trap Draw. And now back to our conversation. Bethany and I went to Inverness a few weeks back. Uh, myself and Solly and um, Ben, an another team member of, of ours, and we got to see the course for the first time. It was very wet, but we did get to play it. And we got to go along with uh, Solheim Cup captain Pat Hurst. And I just, God, I'm so excited for, for the Solheim Cup coming up over Labor Day weekend. I wanted to ask you about the current American team and what you think might change or not change. The way they do qualifying, they, have, uh, they take the top seven off a Solheim Cup points list, and then it's the next best two Per the Rolex rankings, and then that leaves three captains' picks uh, for Pat for for Captain Hurst this year. Um, right now, it seems like the top seven, based on that points list, are pretty solid. Um, it goes Nelly, Danielle Kang, Ali Ewing, Austin Ernst, Lexi Thompson, uh, Jessica Corda, and Megan Kang. I'm I'm curious if you think anybody might sneak up into that top seven, and I, I guess in conjunction with that 
Jennifer Cupcho and Amy Olson would be the, the eighth and ninth players based on their Rolex rankings at the moment. Do you, do you foresee much change in, in those nine players for the Solheim Cup? Well, we still have two majors remaining, um, which if I'm not mistaken, is still double points. You know, that can change things uh, a little bit. I, you know, I, I think we're probably more likely to see change uh, on the, on the Rolex rankings. Uh, but I think you're right though. I think it, there still can be some volatility, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a huge upset. Um, I'm still, I'm still looking at my, uh, my list of potential picks. And, and who would, who would captain Beth Ann, who, which, which way would you go with those three captains picks? I feel like when you're, you're looking at the list that you just, you just mentioned, you have an awful lot of rookies and people who've only played in one soul hunt. So I feel like Stacey Lewis needs to be on this team. She's Toledo born. She's the reason marathon is involved. You know, I mean, I just think that Stacey doesn't have the best Solheim cup record, but she brings so much experience and such a level head. And I really think that uh, her presence will be important and she, and she should be there. You let me know, I think is, is a tremendous pick. Uh, so much upside. Uh, and then I would pick Lizette Salas for the same reason of experience. I love Lizette's fired up mentality, such a bulldog of a competitor. I love how she was playing, obviously, at the KPMG. She seems to be in a great place. So those would be the three that I would pick. I like those picks. I, I, Stacey Lewis seems like I, I totally agree with you. Uh, huge, huge home game factor and just a great ambassador, obviously, for the game. I, I like getting a young up-and-comer. You leave me know. I, I definitely agree with that. And then from what I know, Lizette Salas, too, you know, she gets along with everybody. You can pair her in just about any situation. I agree with all three of those picks. We'll see what Pat thinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and she wouldn't really spill any any of those beans to us uh, when we saw her in Toledo. Let, I do want to put you on the spot, though, Beth Ann. If, let's say, Solheim Cup comes down to one match, one singles match on uh, I, on Monday will be this year on Labor Day. W which American would you have the most confidence or which American would you choose to play in that do or die singles match? The do or die singles match, I would put Danielle Kang in that spot. Two-time women's AM champ, the one who's on the first tee getting everyone to – applaud and cheer through her swing you know i mean i just feel like she'd be ready to come out of her shoes so uh i would i would give the suzanne putterson moment to danielle king <laughs> i love that and she wanted inverness uh at, at uh, in the restart oh, in 2020 i should have mentioned that as well excellent point <laughs> yeah yeah Great uh, vibe. yeah exactly on the european side of things i think the the name that's maybe most prominent right now just because of her recent run of play um she just won over in europe to become eligible even to make the the team europe solheim cup team is matilda castron you know she started the year i believe ranked 211th in the world she's up to 52nd now she's won two times has a runner-up uh what, what should people know about matilda and obviously i i think she has to be a part of team europe right at this point Oh my gosh, if she's not, I, I quit. <laughs> she's the only European player to have won on the LPGA this year. So it's uh, amazing. It is amazing. Uh, and as you say, she, she went home to Finland, 
for the express purpose of winning so that she could become eligible and she pulled it off, which just says everything you need to know about her guts and and just how clutch she is. I mean, just incredible. And I, I was telling Karen Stepples that I felt like she looked like Envy Park on the golf course because she's just like this all the time, you know, like she, she doesn't change the pace of her walk, you know, I, I mean, just everything about her demeanor is so Envy Park-like, not her golf swing, but just the way she carries herself. And, and Karen said she thought that she'd be a great partner uh, with Anna Nordquist because she reminded her a lot of Anna Nordquist. And I thought that was a fantastic insight and would be really interesting. Um, I, I called Amy Bond because Matilda played at Florida State, was a seven-time winner there. And I said, you know, tell me something about Matilda. Like, you know, what was she, what's she like? And she's like, she's really funny. She goes, she's great with kids. She loves to, to she, she'd say to me, coach, I love pulling off a tough, a tough shot, an impossible shot in front of a crowd. So she'd be like, hey, coach, watch this, you know, <laughs> which says a lot about her personality, I, which says, hey, Solheim Cup, perfect, because that's what you're going to get, right? But another thing that I thought was funny was she said, uh, when she came to Florida State, she said, I mean, we went to Hardee's for breakfast one morning and she, she's not a fast food eater. She thought it was the worst breakfast she had ever had. And it was like this long running joke. And so when coach goes to Finland to recruit, she's like, hey, coach, can I take you out and show you around? She's like, I'm, she's like, I would love that. She's like, so we went to this reindeer farm and we're, we're petting the reindeer and feeding the reindeer. She's like, then we go to dinner. And, and what does she order? reindeer <laughs> like, this is so cruel <laughs> so but i think she thought it was funny too but anyways uh so she's i i i she seemingly is a character that we don't know because she she you don't see that because as i said she's envy park like so i'm excited to get to know her um a little bit more in terms of her personality off the golf course and, and isn't it surprising? I, I just golf's the best in that, I, you know, Matilda's only 26. So it's not like she's a, a late, late bloomer, but compared to other people's paths, you know, she, she played two years on the Symmetra tour out of, out of um, Florida state. And then I, I believe only got her card then through LPGA Q school. Eventually. It, it's not like she necessarily tore up the Symmetra tour. Um, but here she is, she's found something and, and is flourishing. I, I just, I don't know. I love stories like that. And, and I got to think it's fun to, to balance that progression with somebody like Nellie Corda, who, you know, it, who's, who's just been destined for greatness ever since, you know, we can remember. Um, it's just funny how people take different development paths, I guess. Right. And how seemingly flipped a switch overnight and yeah. is on fire. You know, she's playing in her first Evian this week fantastic opening round you know she just seems to be on this incredible ride right now and and i hope it lasts to the solheim cup <laughs> right right um last thing i wanted to ask you on the solheim cup there's just a little difference between how europe picks their team and, and how america picks their team and i think the most interesting difference is team europe has six captains picks and and i i would just ask you do you do you like more captain's picks? You know, what, what do you think is, is the best number of captain's picks uh, to, to choose the best side? So, so the backstory on the captain's picks is that Katrina Matthew asked for more picks for this year because of how few tournaments there were on the LET with COVID. 
Gotcha. Uh, so it increased to six because of uh, just the circumstances of the world. Uh, and Pat Hurst asked for more picks. She wanted to have four picks and instead was only given one extra pick. So she went <laughs> two to three. So um, I would have liked to have seen Pat get her four. I feel like the captain should get what she wants. So I thought that was a little stingy on the part of the committee. And, and I thought it was brilliant on the part of Katrina, who, of course, looks like, you know, the most genius captain ever for having picked the woman who just had a baby and barely played me golf and then won the Solheim Cup in 2019 and walked off. So, you know, it was like, what? She's picking Suzanne Pedersen? And then, wow, she picked Suzanne Pedersen. Yeah. So I love that, that Katrina gets six picks. It's like, you know, well, she's obviously a great picker. So this will be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you there. I Part of me is like, if, if we want to make the captain position really important and, and sought after and give them their proper do as influencing the the competition i you know this is something i say on the Ryder cup side on the men's side too like I, i'd love to see the whole team be captain's picks and, and they can reference certain standings but you know let them pick their whole team and and you know it'll either work out or it won't and we can judge them more as a captain that way but um part of me is like yeah the more captain's picks the better yeah i i agree and and they ended up uh instead taking um a spot away from the points list instead of, and I, I was hoping they would do add us add another spot um, for the Rolex, but anyway, so it, it just kind of worked out differently and I would have liked to have seen four picks, but what, what do we know? (laughs) The last big news, I guess, or, or one piece of big news since we last talked was we have a new commissioner on the LPGA tour, Molly Marcus Amon. Uh, what's your reaction to that hire? I, I know, you know, last time we spoke, there were a few that were in the running. Uh, was this one of them or, or was this kind of a, a dark horse candidate? This was a what? Let me Google. Who? <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. I, I mean, no offense, Molly, but I'd never heard of her until the announcement came out. And I feel like such a bad reporter for that, but I, I had no clue. So, and I, believe me, I tried and I, I, she was not a name that came out of anyone's lips. And so it was, uh, like, like Mike Wan, a very surprised, you know, we thought Mike Wan was Asian, <laughs> a very surprised pick. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it's interesting too. I mean, on a side note, this is, I, I don't know if it's appropriate to say this, but I was weeks away from getting my new dog, my new puppy, whom I had already named Molly. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh no, this is terrible timing, but I'm spelling it differently. Is that okay? <laughs> I think that's totally okay. That's, you know, that's just one of life's coincidences. No, I already had it, but anyways, um, so, so I, I have yet to meet Molly in person um, after she was uh, announced. I had like 10 minutes on the phone with her in addition to a, a Zoom call. But I know she was at KPMG. Obviously, she did a TV spot there uh, real briefly on, on Sunday. And she was up at the Dow, um, you know, did something with one of their summits and and gave the caddy bib to Jason McDeeb when, when Nellie played in her first tournament as, as the number one player. So but she hasn't started yet. And so she's still the uh, athletic director at Princeton. And I'm, I'm a little puzzled by the timeline of events here, considering that she was announced back in May. But we'll see. At first, I thought she wasn't starting until after the Solheim Cup. 
Now I'm hearing it is going to be in August. I'm really uncertain. There's a lot of uncertainty. I think I probably know the answer to this, just given you you haven't met her in person and, and she hasn't even officially started yet, but any sense to one, two, three of her bigger priorities when she does finally uh, start full time? Do you, do you have any sense of, of where? No, I mean, I... She's taking the Mike Wan listen uh, and learn approach in the beginning. She didn't really offer any kind of insight into what her priority list might be or something that I think I asked her something along the lines of, you know, what was something that you really, you know, dazzled the committee with, you know, with, with a big idea. Uh, I don't even remember what she said. So <laughs> there wasn't, you know, it, it was just all kind of very, you know, vague, you know. Um, I, I did like that she, at the athletic department at Princeton, there was an emphasis on uh, branding and broadcast and technology, um, you know, and that she was really adamant about high quality uh, videos, you know, and, and, and what they were producing to showcase their athletes and their coaches. And that's something that the LPGA desperately needs in terms of their um, media front-facing platform, everything to be um, taken to another level. So um, marketing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that she really looks at, at those things um, sooner rather than later. Yeah. I, I think the only thing I would add to that is um, I, I can distinctly remember, I believe it was early winter, um, early in 2019, excuse me, in 2020, uh, when the Ivy League made the decision to shut down the sports because of COVID. And, and I only that, that only sticks out because it, it illustrated to me at least that, you know, she, she was willing to make a difficult decision. Surely that wasn't popular in, in a lot of respects. Um, it, it probably proved to be the right decision with what came later in March and, and really what, what 2020 showed us. Um, but, but I at least have respect for her, for her willing and, and her um, associates and, and fellow athletic directors at the Ivy League to, to be able to make a tough decision like that. So, um, I, I, you know, how that bodes for LPGA tenure, we'll, we'll see. But I, I, that was relevant to me, at least. Bethany, I have four questions for you. I'm going to ask you to make some impossible guesses, predictions, uh, and then we'll get you out of here. So... What I guess this isn't really an impossible one, but in your opinion, what has been the biggest story this year on the LPGA thus far? Oh, Nelly, right? I mean, we, we we've been waiting for it to happen for so long. So, and then we got both in the same day—a major and world number one—all at the same time. Was you know cherry on the Sunday? It was fantastic. What's been your biggest surprise thus far? I'm going to have to say Patty Tavitanikit, because even though, I mean, I knew she was a, a great talent, she didn't have that great of a first rookie season <laughs> last year. Um, so there wasn't really anything pointing toward the fact that this was going to be so different, but obviously Grant Waite has a former PGA tour player and winner is now her coach and has caddied for her has been a tremendous influence. And the fact that she went wire to wire with Lydia Ko breathing down her neck on Sunday, playing the most incredible round of golf, you know, was absolutely incredible. What have you been most disappointed in thus far? We've already talked about it. Uh, I mean, Lexi Thompson down the stretch at, at the Olympic club, you know, I, as, as again, as much as I have enjoyed getting to know Yuka Sasso and look forward to what she does, you know, it just seems like, 
you know, everyone wanted Lexi Thompson to have a U.S. Women's Open title. You know, it just it just seemed like she was due, and it was it was hers to grab. And then finally, last question: um, Who's your pick to win Olympic gold in the in the women's golf? So. I have to stick with this answer because I already gave it to USA Today. <laughs> I sent in my picks like a week ago. Um, and I, I, I sent in Jin Young-Ko, who wanted her last start. To me, if, if a top South Korean player can sort of have less pressure and be a little more under the radar, it's Jin Young because Nellie has now taken a lot of that away from her. And so I think NB is going to have so much attention on her in Tokyo as the 2016 gold medal winner. I almost feel like, you know, Jin Young Ko might have a little bit of an advantage there and in, in being the world number two, unless something happens crazy this week, um, you know, that would, uh, that would give her a, a little leg up. And I think she is just so steady uh, and so calm in big moments that, I know that's not really going out on a limb, but she's my pick. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, and I lied. Final question. Will you get to go to Carnoustie for the Women's Open this year? Oh, sadly, no. I was there in 2011, but um, we're not doing any international travel this year uh, on our staff. So uh, just crazy times. And and I'll, I'll be watching early morning from my couch. <laughs> okay. All right. And I think I will get to see you. I'm so excited. I got to think you'll be in, in Toledo for the Solheim Cup. So. Oh, for sure. For okay. sure. Can't wait for that. But before right. that, I'm at the U.S. Senior Women's Open, where I'm extremely excited. That's next week. We have both Solheim Cup captains competing. Uh, of course, Julie Ingster, Laura Davies, Annika Soren, Sam, and big mama, Joanne Farner. So it's going to be a treat. I can't wait. <laughs> beautiful beautiful well that's a that's a great great little tidbit to end on bethan as always i immensely enjoy talking to you and i look forward to the next time i'm i'm able to likewise thank you so much randy Ziploc that right on my waistline is why I kept that strap. I remember nights, I didn't remember nights. I damn near went crazy, I had to get it right. Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth, yeah, no joke. Who